Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the 21st Sunday after Pentecost for the week of October 22nd, 2023, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I am excited that we are getting closer and closer to Reformation Sunday. That is next week, along with then your typical regular scheduled 22nd Sunday after Pentecost for those who don't celebrate the Reformation. So next week will be a very loaded podcast, a lot of text, so just a forewarning with that. But it's also, I think, just this exciting season of the year. We're getting that transition. We're getting that shoulder season here in the Northern Hemisphere that is hinting at that things are going to change. And in the Southern Hemisphere, it's the opposite. It's been cold. It's that hinting at something of hope, something of new life that is coming. And so it's this fun juxtaposition as we are looking at the hemispheres right now on what is happening as the tilt of the globe is slightly shifting. And I think it's always fun, especially having lived in the Northern Hemisphere my whole life, Just thinking about the Southern Hemisphere and how their life cycle and cycle of the calendar is completely opposite to what I've grown accustomed to. So just that fun, differing thought process of what that looks like. So let's jump into the question that we had for last week, which was, where have you made assumptions or a hypothesis and been wrong? Last week, we talked a lot about p-values and talking about how We, as a scientific community, there's times where we have to be critical and we have to be able to look at things. And I thought there was a really good response this week where a lot of times when asked as we get older and older, would you go back to such and such an age again? And the initial answer is yes. But the next question this person said was, but if you were going to go back to that age and only knew what you knew at that age and have lost all the experience that you've had, then the yes doesn't come as quick. And I think that is a valuable thing to think about is that how often we do learn from mistakes, how often we learn from experience. And to just vacuum that away can then make it so it's very difficult for us to be able to see where we're trying to go. And as we're going to dig into a little bit more into p-values just briefly this week, but talking about that a little bit further, I think that's one of the things that we can definitely be thinking about and looking at within our own lives is where are we not giving ourselves enough credit for the experience and life experience that we've been able to have and how that impacts how we look at the world that we're viewing at at the current moment. So let's just jump into it. One of the Old Testament texts this week is out of Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 23. This is one of the moments that we get where Moses is asking the Lord that he wants to see a glimpse. He wants to see a glimpse of who this God is that he has been obeying and trying to follow the best that he possibly can. And over this time, you know, there's been ups and downs, but God reiterates, you can't see my presence. And so what does God do? He then tells Moses to go and hide in a cleft in the rock. So kind of a little cutout in the rocks. And that I will cover you and as I pass by, then you will be able to see 
the back of me, but you cannot see the face. This is done one other time with Elijah has something kind of similar, and that's where there is some biblical scholars who think there is some weird time warp that we have with the Transfiguration Sunday where you have Moses and Elijah on the mountain that they're seeing Jesus there. But this idea, again, of how Moses only gets to see a glimpse of God and it's the backside of God. We don't even get to see the whole picture of who God is. We just see the backside. And just think if we were purely judging people, purely off their backside. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 99, all nine verses of it. And this is a recognition of how great God is, that this is a God that is worthy of being praised. This is a God who is in control and has established the equity and love, and it has continued to show this. And then when we get to verse 6, looking at Moses and Aaron, so thus the tie-in with the Exodus reading, and how God has spoken through all these people. But starting with Moses and Aaron in this psalm and going through the priests and to Samuel and then getting to the pillar of the cloud, recognizing the history of what God has done has been a very forgiving God, an avenger of wrongdoing, but it continues to be a God we need to worship as we are striving to follow this God. The other Old Testament text this week is a little more difficult. It's out of Isaiah chapter 45 verses 1 to 7. The Israelites at this point have been in exile. They have Cyrus the Great is who they assume this is as it's saying Cyrus is a Persian king, has come in and has taken over and has liberated the Israelites and told them to return home. And this is a moment where we then are getting told that God has descended on Cyrus, which is kind of an interesting twist in and of itself based on the fact that Cyrus doesn't worship God. But it's this moment in time where we're seeing how God continues to work in things outside of our own control and realizing that God goes in and out of our lives more than we recognize. And there are times that God is working beyond what we can understand in the current moment for the betterment of all of us. He's working through Cyrus to help liberate the people of Israel at this point to be able to return home. So even though Cyrus is not a God-fearing person, God is still working through Cyrus. The psalm this week that goes with that is Psalm 96, verses 1 to 9 and optionally 10 through 13. This then is in that recognition glorifying God in it and declaring the glory of what God has done and making sure that it's worthy to be praised and recognizing that this is a God that is above all gods, even when it's hard for us to necessarily recognize it, like in the Isaiah text this week, that we are paying with honor and majesty and recognizing that this is a God of strength. This is a God who is worthy of bringing offerings in front of And that this is the king who has established all these different things and is not going to be moved. This is the one that has been in the heaven and is making the earth rejoice in what is going on. That this is a thing that is not just even within humankind, but within all of God kind. All that we've known, singing the praises of who God is. The epistle text or second reading this week is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, going from verse 1 to 10. 
So we get as Paul loves doing this nice little introduction into this, but even as we get into verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you. Because of our message of the gospel came to you not only in word but in power and in the Holy Spirit with the full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. So this idea of how the Spirit of God is being blessed upon all of them and is being inspired in what they're doing and that this Word then cannot be contained. This is something that needs to be spread, needs to be shared, and that this is a living God. This is not a God that we turn to idols for, but this is a God that is active and moving and working within us. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. We are moving to the end of Matthew's gospel here. We are getting into and near Holy Week, and here we have the Pharisees getting together with the Herodians, who we assume are part of the Roman coalition, and they are coming together to try to trick Jesus. And they first recognize and kind of flatter Jesus, for we know you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance to the truth and show difference to no one. But they ask the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor? So Jesus is immediately aware that what these people are trying to do. And he responds with, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that is used for tax. And one of them pulls out a denarius. Now, this is within the temple. And at that point, you would take all these other things that had other faces on it and exchange it for shekels, something that didn't have the face of an emperor or something on it. So he has already caught the Herodians and Pharisees or whoever in a pickle, that they aren't supposed to be worshiping some other god, but yet they have this coin with someone else's face on it. And so Jesus then asks, whose head is on this? And it's the emperor. And in doing so, then he responds with, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor and to gods the things that are gods. And they are amazed and perplexed because they're probably, one, a little bit embarrassed, but two, it's fairly deep words of what he is stating, two, recognizing that, okay, this thing that you have created that is following after the emperor or the leader of some other territory, remember, this is the Roman occupation, that yes, that would be something that you would be giving. And now Jesus, again, has been following the rules, doesn't have that on him. It's his people who are his proponents. But it's also then the things that give into God, the things that are God's, which if you think about that, we've talked about this before, but the deepness of what that actually is, recognizing that everything that God has created is God's in some form or fashion. But it's this pickle that he has gotten these people into and getting them to think deeper because of that pickle is pretty interesting. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plugs full. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me these ideas and be able to bring you this podcast week after week. I really enjoy listening to Working Preacher week after week to be able to hear from biblical scholars who are ordained, 
unlike myself, I am not ordained, be able to bring these texts to life and think about them in different unique ways. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library. Not only do I really enjoy how they lay out the text week to week, but I also really enjoy how they have art, how they have hymns, how they have liturgical colors, how they have different prayers week to week to be able to help guide you through this. And it might be something that'd be able to accompany you really well with this podcast as I'm summarizing these texts week to week to be able to be looking at. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. Finally, I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. These newsletters come out to be able to provide a wide range of writers with ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies around these texts week to week. And especially if you are sitting down and listening to a half-hour text talking about how faith and science come together with the lectionary week to week, I'd highly recommend checking out these lectionary commentaries that come out week to week from other great authors. It's a great resource. I am writing for them later this year, so I'm really excited about that. So make sure that you check out and sign up for the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. Ways to sign up for that will be in the show notes. The Herodians and the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus and make him a hypocrite. And instead, Jesus turns the tables on them and shows how they aren't even able to follow the rules that they have set on what the temple should be. What happened? They, as we were talking about, they had a denarius, which had a face of the emperor. And at that point, that was a way of worshiping somebody else other than the true God, thus you would exchange your money at the money exchangers to get shekels. And then on the way out, you'd be able to exchange your shekels for cash. They were caught in having something else influencing them, something else that was another priority or something they were hiding themselves. And to think that science is completely oblivious of this type of research, I will attach plenty of articles down below talking about how science in and of itself still has these problems. And why do we have these problems? We've talked about some of these before. Some of these problems lie in the fact that you're constantly in a lot of research positions are worried about funding, 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 funding. How am I going to get my funding? And if you're in a major university, and if you're a professor, where again, a lot of research happens, then it's about, I have to publish, I have to publish, I have to publish. And as we've talked about before, one of the problems at times with publishing is that they're looking for positive results. So if you're looking for positive results, you're potentially going to be manipulating some of the data to be able to give the types of results that you're wanting. As we've talked about, a lot of publications are only going to publish positive results, and they're also going to look favorably on new research instead of research that is reaffirming someone else's, essentially doing that double check and making sure, yep, I ran this study as well, and it checks out. Those types of studies have been something that we have, this replication of studies is something that we've been working on for the last decade, decade and a half, and has been continued to be more and more of a process. Are we there yet? No. Have we talked about that this is something that is a problem? Yes. 
and that there are different journals and different things that have been coming out trying to help so that this replication process is found to be of a better result. So hopefully we can have more replication of science, which is part of the whole process of all this. But again, as you dig into this, there are problems that we have within our own scientific method, for instance. Sometimes because just the difficulty of trying to form a hypothesis like we talked about last week when you're really on the cutting edge and you really don't understand what's going on you're just trying to get a general idea of what is going on sometimes it's even hard to form a hypothesis which then makes for where we have difficulty even having framework of what we typically see within the scientific method working for people or take other examples that we are so concentrated on making sure that we fit within those p-values. So again, fitting within that 5% chance that you're within fringes of making sure that your data is falling within there. And if you're getting outside of that, that your data point could be statistically significant. But again, if we're not running replication studies, we're not necessarily finding that. It is statistically possible to have results that are in that 5% that is outside of what we'd see as the standard deviation. And if that is the metric on which we're working in, Technically, one in 20 papers has the potential of having data that is incorrect because it falls within that 5%. So if we're not doing the replication studies, we are having stuff that goes out that fits in that 5%. And that's where, again, if we are having motivations to have where we need positive results, we need certain results, this is where we can have what they call p-value hacking. A good example of this, and I will attach the video coming down below, was from Visarium 10 years ago, but he gives a good study on how there was a study that came out where they had one group doing low-carb diet, a second group doing a low-carb diet with eating a candy bar, and a third control group that was just saying maintain a healthy diet. And they found that the two low-carb diet groups were, yes, in fact, losing weight. But again, the ones eating the candy bars were slightly more effective. But what had they also done? They were testing like 18 different things, looking at cholesterol and all these different things. They were looking for something that was going to fit within that 5% to be statistically significant to be able to say, oh, look, we were able to do. And in that study, they had a very small test groups, five people. So in that, with having small test groups, and again, not having necessarily replication studies from it, they were able to get these headlines by stating these things and p-value hacking, figuring out data that was going to be significant that could get them clicks and get them headlines. Sure, this seems like a small, harmless study, but this is something that continues on even today. There's an article attached down below on how the tobacco industry for decades was manipulating research to be able to get results in which they were wanting. And this is something that is happening more and more now that it continues to be this kind of gray area. When you are having corporate research testing their own drugs, is that reliable research? Yes, they are looking into something and finding something, and that's important. But if they're testing their own drugs and then making their own claims, and if there's no one else going through and replicating these studies, then they're kind of going unchecked and setting their own priorities 
and they have a bias. If they have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars developing this drug, do you not think they're going to figure out some way that it's going to do something? And this is where we can potentially start falling into some pitfalls with this. I'll attach an article down below coming from 2020 talking about how corporate influence was a major part of the opioid epidemic. And how, again, we had, in this case, corporate greed of if we can expand our drugs being going out to more and more people, this can expand our profit margins. And so if we can show studies that are showing that this is helpful in this, which sure, it can be helpful, but there can be other things that are more helpful. Why is this so hard if we are pushing opioids? Because they're addictive. So thus, it brings profit into the corporate entity. They have the influence and bias if we can show this we're going to have our bottom lines helped plus we'll have potentially a cash flow machine because we're going to get people addicted to this which then biases the results that of course we're going to find something that this works with and this is the dirty side of science this is the dirty side where you can find ways of manipulating things and this is why it is so important to have replication studies. This is why it's so important to have third parties being able and doing the peer reviews of research. This is also why it's so important to have negative results published. Because if we're only publishing positive results, it gives more and more influence to, of course, I'm going to figure out ways to push this. And if we're having influence to, I need to have X number of papers published, then of course we're going to have this problem. And this is something that we are still very much in the middle of figuring out how do we work all these things out? How do we get so that we are getting good science coming out? We have good review systems. We have good replication systems. We aren't purely having corporate interests or somebody with a bias pushing data out because they have some other initiative potentially behind it. This is a dirty side of science that we are trying to clean up, but it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes even us as citizens and people who aren't in science being critical in a healthy way to push people to be doing this correctly. Now, how does this all tie in? Well, let's even start with the Exodus text. How Moses, and as we talked about also Elijah, got glimpses of Jesus purely by the backside. And that was the reason for the joke of what if we were purely judged by our backside. They are seeing the back of God. They are seeing the end result of God passing by. They aren't seeing the whole picture. And sometimes we as people, with the manipulation that we can do, with manipulating the data to get it to be certain ways, we aren't seeing the whole picture. We are limiting our own scope. We are hurting our own selves from being able to see something much greater than what we would typically be able to understand because we are so focused on trying to get a certain result. The Isaiah text is part of that trust. Here God is saying that, yes, I am in Cyprus, even though Cyprus has taken over them. Cyprus releases them to go home. But I would agree with the Israelites to some extent where they're questioning, who do we trust here? Do we trust Cyprus? Do we trust God? Or do we trust Cyprus's gods? Because Cyprus obviously looked very strong at this moment. 
And us being on this side of the cross, we understand more and we can look back with the beauty of hindsight bias, being able to see what was going on. But the people at the time don't. And so there is a lot of, ugh, what am I actually looking at? Which, again, tying back to replication, tying back to peer review, this is why this is so important. Because when you find, not if, when we find great breakthroughs and amazing things that help us understand something, helps us be able to better understand our creator and who God created this planet to be and helping us to better understand the planet, of course, like it's saying here in the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, why wouldn't we want to be sharing that stuff? Why wouldn't we want to be getting that news out? And that's where, yes, it's okay to be critical, but still be making making sure that news gets out. But in that, we got to make sure that we don't have a bias. We don't have something that is holding us back from us being able to see clearly. We need to be able to recognize our own biases or having people there to help point them out. Give to the emperor what is the emperor's and give unto God the things that are God's. We are trying to understand this planet, understand more about ourselves, understand things outside of ourselves, to be able to better understand who God is, to be able to give that glory. And why would we want to hold that back? But we still need to be discerning because we are trying to learn more about who God is. And so, yes, put that stuff out there. Allow people to pick it apart and look at it with a critical eye and be accepting to the results. We need to be able to have people who are going through and replicating studies to show that, yes, look at what we're able to discover so that we don't waste time on something that isn't productive, on something that we're assuming based off of one study that had bias in it, that had an agenda in it that's leading us astray. I think that's where it's so important for us to recognize and realize this and to think about this critically. Because in that, we are able to learn so much more about who God is. Is this not the point of what we are trying to accomplish in this life? Is understanding and having this relationship with God, but that means that we need to understand who God is. So, the question that I have for you this week is, where do you need to be more critical? Where do you need to be more critical? I think... At least here in the United States, one of the things that I think has kind of propped up over the last decade, we'll say, the whole fake news movement. And I think one of the things with it is that it means we need to be more critical on where we're getting our news. Or if we get a piece of news, researching that piece of news, looking into the studies, making sure that we're not necessarily repeating something without having the research done on it, getting multiple opinions, looking at it from multiple viewpoints, looking at it from the opposite side of what you would typically look at things, to be able to understand these things, to be able to make good, rational decisions, not just within the sphere of politics, but within our day-to-day -day lives. I think we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to recognize that there are ways that we can take this on ourselves as well. And if we are holding ourselves to that accountability, I think it makes it easier for us to hold others to that accountability as well. Because as we are projecting things and being able to have the data to back it up, like what Jesus does with the Herodians here and the Pharisees, that he sees through and pulls the reverse maneuver of, do you have a coin? And oh, crap, I'm not supposed to have this. Yeah, give unto the emperor what is the emperor's and give unto God what is God's and recognize where that line is. 
Recognize that God is greater than what the emperor is and recognizing that, yes, you pay that, but it's also you got to be paying homage to who your God is and not putting sneaking things in so that you're paying homage to who God is in the best way possible to build that relationship, to build that trust, to not have the bias behind it. And in a world where we're at right now, I think that is something that we have a hard time with. But I think the first step in order for us to help get through this is recognizing this. And that's been one of the things that I've really enjoyed since starting this podcast is how there is more and more news about this and the science community trying to be critical of ourselves and get ahead of it and making sure that we are looking at these things critically and trying to help clean up some of this stuff. It doesn't mean that we can get rid of all fake news, but it does mean that there are places that we can go where it is being researched, it is being looked at, it is trying to be critical, it is trying to make sure that the data is backing up what is being said, trying to create sources of places that we can go to listen and hear and being able to look at the research and laying it out and showing you where you can go. It's why within my descriptions I have where my references are so that if I get called out here, you at least can see where I was looking. And then call me out and say, I wish you would use this source or show me this source of somewhere that I could do better. Because I think that's all things that we need within our lives, but also within our spiritual lives as well. Because if we aren't doing that, what are we doing? We're probably bringing in a denarius into the temple and trying to get away with it. Where we should be in shekel country at that moment. Giving God what is God's is recognizing, I think, partly that we aren't first. And whatever our bias or whatever our agenda or whatever way we want things to be isn't always the way they are. And that's what's hard sometimes within this life. But yet, that's so important for us to recognize and to realize. And as science is working on cleaning that up, and as Jesus is sending this reminder to us, I think it's something that we all need to spend time considering and working on. Because in that, I think we all grow. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.